Welcome to episode 14 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, ESPN reporter Michael Rothstein, and let's get right to it off the top today. Massive news on Tuesday in the world of the Detroit Lions. Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia, they will be back for 2020. Not that this should necessarily be a shock, but it's happened despite nine wins over two seasons. Don't forget Jim Caldwell won nine wins in each of his last two years and questionable progress all around. So I'll walk you through a little bit of how this went down, and then we'll get to a whole boatload of your questions on this massive news day in Detroit. So the Lions held a meeting with a small group of reporters midday on Tuesday, myself included, where the Lions ownership, including owner Martha Ford and Vice Chairwoman Sheila Ford-Hamp, along with Team President Rod Wood, said they've decided to bring Patricia and Quinn back for a th- fifth and third year, respectively. They've done so with a nebulous mandate as well. The expectations of becoming a playoff contender. And they recognize that this decision is not going to be a popular one. They knew that right off the bat. And judging by the social media reaction after the embargo got lifted at 3 p.m., it's clearly not been a favorable one. And I'm not shocked by that reaction at all. And we'll get to that a little bit throughout this show. Well, answer it also more in your questions, but the themes of seeing progress and the belief that injuries, including the 14, well, now 15, including Matthew Stafford, players on injured reserve, really derailed this team in 2019, and it played heavily into the decision to have the two expats return. By the way, that Stafford news, that's another bit of news on this crazy day that we may or may not even get to Matthew Stafford after six weeks being injured now on injured reserve. His season is over. But when it comes to Queen and Patricia, there is the reality of this. If they let go of the two of them, it is essentially starting over again. The choice was essentially staying the course for one more season, believing in Patricia's process and hoping that he could turn it around or blowing it all up and starting over once again. They chose to stay the course and they buy into the personal and professional improvement of their second-year head coach, along with the belief that he has the Lions closer than their ugly 3-10-1 record would appear. That's a message he has tried to drive home a lot, really, since they lost to the Bears on Thanksgiving. It seems like he said it over and over again and really hammered home the thought of the process. And here, to me, is where it gets a bit dicey. Patricia's scheme on defense, and that's where a lot of the Lions' problems lie at this point, is highly specific. Few NFL teams run it. So if the Lions draft a scheme again in 2020 and they sign free agents for the scheme again in 2020 and it fails, Detroit will be in an even deeper hole than it was now or even six months ago. And there's another factor too. I did some research on this earlier today and the numbers didn't totally pan out, but it's something to consider when you're talking about major franchise-altering decisions after the 2020 season. There could be a work stoppage if the NFLPA and the NFL owners can't agree to a contract. And if they make a move after 2020, any new coaching staff would be unable to work with players until that was resolved. Last time around, it kind of dragged off for a few months and really didn't necessarily totally hurt the new coaches that were involved, but it definitely didn't help. And that could put a new staff even more of a disadvantage, again, if this thing all fails in 2020. 
When the last work stoppage happened, some really good programs came out of it. John Fox in Denver, Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco, Ron Rivera in Carolina. But there were also the short Pat Shermer regimes in Cleveland and the Hugh Jackson, very, very short Oakland stay. Now, those may have happened whether there was a work stoppage or not a work stoppage, but it's something to consider when you're looking at what could happen in the long run here. Any coaching change or general manager change is a crapshoot. You just never really know however much anyone will ever say that they do know. It's part of why staying the course for now was appealing. But it's also a bigger risk because of the potential labor issues to come. Would I have kept them? I still really don't know. I just don't think the progress has been there. I don't necessarily believe two years is enough time to truly evaluate a regime, especially when you are rebuilding, even though Matt Patricia wouldn't say that. But I'm also the believer that when you know it's not working, you know, and you don't elongate it just to let it kind of go on. That has never served a positive purpose in any form of life or any business or any strategy whatsoever from relationships to even keeping a player to building a multi-billion dollar organization just doesn't work out well hardly ever. So I guess I just don't know, but I kind of have a feeling that unless they make major changes on defense, we might see something similar, maybe not record-wise, but to what we did last year, to this year, next year. We'll get into this more in a couple minutes. Instead of having a couple of guests on this episode, we're going to mostly answer your questions from what's been a busy day here in Michigan, and then we'll have Denver Broncos reporter from ESPN, Jeff Legwald on to briefly chat about what to expect this Sunday in Denver when the Lions travel to face the Broncos. So earlier today, I, after the news broke, I went on Twitter and basically said, all right, whatever questions you got, let's go. And we'll just answer them and go through it. So I'm going to literally go through as many questions as I can here and try to give you as many answers as possible, because I know you, the fan, are searching for them and you don't understand it and you're frustrated. So I'm going to do what I can here. We'll start with Justin A. Cohen. And he says, how can they be so dumb year after 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 year? And I think I got all the after years. And I don't know if it's quote unquote dumb. I think there is some loyalty involved and there's some hope that they will get it right. I, I truly believe that the Ford family wants to get it right, that they do want to win, that they're trying everything they can to, to figure out how to win. Uh, but they also haven't really won ever. And sometimes winning breeds winning. You hear that all the time. You hear it through the course of the season. Like winning brings, breeds confidence. Confidence breeds winning. So until you're able to do that, I, I think it's just kind of a vicious cycle. And it's a vicious cycle the Lions have been in for much of the last 50 or so years. Magic Masai with the handle Honolulu Blue 90 asks, what was the Lions defensive ranking before said injuries piled up? Can you elaborate on the fictional progress they saw when they were under 500 before quote unquote injuries? Sure. There's a couple of different things here. First, I would say the Lions defensive ranking, while I'm not going to go through all of them because the injuries happened at different times. And frankly, on defense, they were never fully healthy at any point this season. Because if you go back to training camp, they dealt with injuries on the defensive line and really never got healthy there from the jump. 
but they've been a bottom five, bottom six defense in yards against the pass pretty much all year long when they had guys healthy and when they had guys not so healthy. The run, they've actually gotten a little bit better, but I think that's also because teams are realizing that they can just pass on them all day long and win that way. So you don't even need to run. So that goes to your second question, which is on the fictional progress or real progress, depending how you look at it. And to me and my understanding, I should say, is this. The way the Lions started the year, 2-0-1, and then a really close loss to Kansas City, and followed by what happened in Green Bay where there was some questionable officiating. All of that was what they believed and what really it seems like the Lions believed was progress. And listen, there was progress there. Back in September and early October, I was even writing and saying, hey, this team does look like a contender, but one that just can't get quite over the hump yet. Now, the problem is that that was the hard part of their schedule. The schedule has since got had since theoretically gotten easier, but the Lions didn't beat any of those teams either. And that also goes into, like you said, before quote-unquote injuries, and really the injury that mattered the most was Matthew Stafford. And the Lions were under 500 when Matthew Stafford got hurt. Obviously, they lost to Oakland when he got hurt in that game, but he finished that game, and then they haven't won since. And so I, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things I really struggle with is that progress is what you really saw. I think you've seen some young players develop. Uh, I think that there's been Jelani Tavai, Amani Awarie. You've seen some some tangible progress there. Bo Scarborough, who is a practice squad guy, and really the running backs as a whole, once Carryon Johnson went down, I think you should be happy with the job that running backs, running backs coach Kyle Kasky has done throughout the year because, I mean, they've been going running back after running back after running back, and they've been having various levels of success, but it hasn't been an abject disaster running the ball, even without Carryon Johnson and even J.D. McKissick. So that, to me, is an area of progress. I think the offense definitely showed progress, and, and that's gotten lost in the failures of the defense because Patricia is a defensive-minded coach. So to me, to answer your question, the progress was probably most definitely on offense, and that, at least before Stafford got hurt, was something that was definitive. Because Stafford was playing at an MVP level. He really fit the offense well. Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay were both on their way to a 1,000-yard seasons. And that's not a bad thing at all. And that's something to build on. So if you're looking for a silver lining in all this, it probably means Daryl Bevel comes back. And this offense can be potentially what it was this season. JC with the handle Legend jc 13 asks, So if they have a playoff or else mandate, Darius Slay and Marvin Jones should say, thoughts so a couple of things here first is it's not a playoff or else mandate it's more of a be a playoff contender mandate and that can be anywhere because they could be 10 and 6 and miss the playoffs well if you're 10 and 6 do you fire this regime just because they played in a really tough division Uh, probably not but say it's the nfc east and 
they finish seven and nine and make the playoffs and get blown out in the first playoff game. Well, because that would be a home playoff game if they won a division at that point. Well, is that enough to say, hey, that's progress? I don't know. So it's left a lot of wiggle room. And I think that it was done purposely that way because it gives them a lot more judgment of saying, okay, this is the progress we want to see or this progress just isn't enough and we're ready to move on. But it's a little bit dicey too. And obviously it also gives another out for if they have another season like they did this year with a ton of injuries. As far as Marvin Jones and Darius Slay, it's a good question. They have no reason at this point to get rid of Marvin Jones because if they believe they're really close on offense, then Marvin Jones is a big part of that. And sure, he's ended the last two years on injured reserve, but this year's injured reserve was different than last year's. This year's, really, if the Lions were in the playoff chase, if they were going to make the playoffs, if this injury that had happened midseason, I don't think he ends up on injured reserve. He probably just misses a couple of weeks. Last year's injury, he couldn't play. So you bring Marvin Jones back at this point because he's still a productive receiver. He's played well with Kenny Galladay. And he's still 30 years old, so he still should have a few productive years left. The question to me is whether or not you give Marvin Jones an extension. And we discussed that a little bit on last week's show that I believe you do if you can make the money and the years work. Darius Slay, on the other hand, I really don't know what they're going to do. I don't believe you should get rid of him because he's your best cornerback, maybe your best defensive player overall, depending how you feel about Trey Flowers. So why trade him? But the Lions were clearly at least kicking around the idea at the trade deadline, and he hasn't been totally content with what's gone on in Detroit. That was clear at midseason. So I think it's going to depend on what the offers are. And there's also the factor of you're going to probably have to give him an extension or figure out something with him to keep him from maybe showing up or to get him to maybe show up before the start of training camp. And Darius Slade deserves to get paid. He's played well enough to earn that contract. It's just a question of whether it's going to be in Detroit or not. That to me becomes one of the major offseason questions for the Lions. Now that they know their GM and head coach are going to be back is what happens with Darius Slay. If you ask me today, I don't think Darius Slay is a member of the Lions in 2020, but I have nothing to go on with that other than pure speculation and just a little bit of guessing and how the Bob Quinn has handled players that maybe have been a little bit outspoken in the past. But if you're going with one year and you know you need to be a playoff contender, I don't know how you get rid of Darius Slay. Livy with the handle Gangrene NYK asks, who is going to be the lead back for the, ne- for the Lions next year and why? Really, it's likely to be carry on Johnson f- until proven otherwise. And the reason for that is carry on Johnson's still the more explosive of the running backs that the Lions have. And when he is healthy, and obviously that's the big question, he's shown he can run well and was running not as well as he did as a rookie this year. But I think that there was progress being made. And what can really help, and I've talked to Carry On about this and talked to Bo Scarborough a little bit about this, is that Bo Scarborough, who should absolutely have a role in 2020 now that Quinn and Patricia are coming back, 
it's pretty simple that he can be a good foil for carry on Johnson. They have two very different running styles and that can be really difficult for defenses to prepare for. So when you have the two of them, I think you could see more of a split back situation than one guy being the lead, but both of them can definitely be effective. Less white with the handle icon silk 713 in light of today's announcement. We don't expect the Lions to be 20 million under the cap again next season. Right. And if you don't understand what he's referencing, the Lions had a bunch of salary cap room heading into this season. That's part of why they were able to sign Mike Daniels, which at the time looked like a good signing. Obviously, it just never worked out because Mike Daniels was unable to stay healthy this year. But no, I would imagine the Lions are going to be spenders. They're going to go after elite level players. And frankly, I know we were talking about a little bit at the top of that scheme fit. It wouldn't shock me if they just try to go get some of the quote-unquote best talent available and Patricia really tries to make that fit in his scheme and maybe even adapts a little bit of his scheme to make it work with the talent that they can get. But they need an infusion of defensive talent. They need to do that through the draft. They need to do that through free agency. Obviously, we don't know exactly who is going to become available, but between free agency, between trades, and between the draft, Figure the Lions are going to add a bunch of defensive talent, probably have to start at corner and start with a pass rusher. And right now, if the Lions end up with the number two pick, who knows? That could mean getting Chase Young, and that would be a transcendent talent that would be the best possible pick for the Lions for multiple reasons, including that he's a player that can play in a 3-4 or a 4-3, no matter what happens to Quinn and Patricia in the future. Phenom with the handle Bolt. J-A-K-U-P-O-V asked, is this the worst organization in all of pro sports? I don't know. That's a tough thing to figure. And that's a tough thing to really judge. They're clearly not a great organization. And you can just say that based off of the consistent not winning and mediocrity or worse. But I don't know if they're the worst organization in professional sports. I don't even know if they're the worst organization in the NFL because at least at present, because all you need to do is really look at what's going on in Washington. And to me, that is more of a mess than what's been going on in Detroit, because at least Detroit has stable ownership. They, they basically let their coaches and general managers do their thing. And if they succeed, great. If they fail, they at least let them do that on their own terms. So I don't know if they're even the worst organization in the NFL, but they're definitely not one of the top organizations in pro sports or even one of the middle organizations in pro sports are definitely down toward the bottom. Joe Junkag with the handle J-O-E-J-O-N-C-J-U-N-C asked, what are the chances Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder, buys the Lions in 2020 based on uh, reports from a, pod- a different podcast that popped up on Tuesday? The Lions slammed this down pretty definitively today they were asked about it and they said yeah they've been approached in the past about people wanting to buy the team and they've had no serious discussions about it the ford family is committed to owning the team and they do have a succession plan in place it is a mystery succession plan at this point that they won't discuss publicly but if you've been following the lions over the past oh four or five years you might have a better idea of what this succession plan is Because there's been one Ford family member that has been around more than anyone else when it comes to the Lions, uh, beyond Martha Ford, of course. 
and that is Sheila Ford Hamp. And Sheila Ford Hamp was one of the people that talked today and gave a quote and was the person who said that, you know, they knew that this wasn't a popular decision. And she's been with her mother at almost every game. I don't know if it's been everyone, but at almost every game that they travel to and they go every week everywhere. Sheila Ford Hamp is on the Super Bowl committee in the NFL. So she's got a role as far as the league structure is concerned. And all the signs, while they haven't come out publicly and said it or even said it privately, the signs would be that Sheila Ford Hamp would end up being the person next in line to take over the Lions when Martha Ford no longer runs the team, either due to her death or her decision to step away. Don't know, obviously, how when that would come. But she's 94 years old, so they do have a succession plan in place. They didn't want to talk about it today, but they've made it clear that there is one. And at least for now, it seems like it's definitely going to remain in the family. Sham, with the handle Sham, Sham God, just asks why. And, I mean, we've covered it a lot, but, I, I mean, the why, I think, is pretty simple. It's they want to believe in the course, and they want to stay with the course that – versus blowing it all up. And really, those were the only two courses of action. And it's better that they, I think, to me, stayed the course than did a, a half effort, like what happened when they hired Bob Quinn and then Quinn decided to keep Caldwell, or when they hired Patricia and yet Jim Bob Cooter stuck around. You're going to kind of go one way or the other, and at least to me, it seems like they're going all in with this regime and saying, listen, this is what it's going to be for one more year. And they hope that it's successful and it's, one more year turns into many years to come instead of having this conversation again. Carl V. Spooner 97 asks, what foundational pieces do you see on this roster that Bob Quinn has built? Because I'm not seeing many. What could ownership possibly see as positive progress to justify another year? A close loss to Kansas City, it's still a loss. I agree with you on the last point, Carl. And it's interesting you say that because I remember specifically talking to Marvin Jones after the loss to the Chiefs. And I said, hey, like, do you take any solace in Y'all hung around with, at that time, because I was pre-Patrick Mahomes injury, what was considered the best offense in the NFL. And again, remember, this is week four, not now, where Baltimore's offense is just dominant. And he kind of got mad at the question. He was like, he, he was sick of answering the, hey, we're close, but can't get over the hump questions. Like, they have to get over the hump. They should be winning these games. And I'm paraphrasing him here. So... To me, that says, well, the players at least believe that they were close enough that they felt they should win. And frankly, they were in that game. So I think close loss from now on is clearly not going to be good enough and shouldn't be good enough. It shouldn't have been good enough this year, but this season evolved into what it's evolved into. And that's kind of where we stand. As far as foundational pieces on this roster, let's go through it real quick. Matthew Stafford is obviously a foundational piece. He's a franchise quarterback and has played exceedingly well. Kenny Galladay is a foundational piece, probably in line to get a very, very lucrative extension here in the offseason. They're going to pay him, or should pay him, rather. And that's a piece at receiver you can build around. TJ Hawkinson, sure, he didn't have the best year statistically, especially for a number eight overall pick. But he is someone you can build around long term, and his season especially since it ended early, statistically wasn't that far out of line with most rookie tight ends. So there is potential there. On the offensive line, 
Frank Ragnow at center is a foundational piece. You can build your line around him for probably the next, next half decade or more. Defensively, that's where it gets a little bit more questionable. Trey Flowers, by contract and by his play, because he's played pretty darn well the second half of the season, is a foundational piece. And he's a guy that can obviously play well in Patricia's system, but someone that if you end up moving on from them in the future, you can also build around there. At linebacker, I don't think they have one at this point. Jelani Tavai potentially could be a foundational piece, but you kind of need to see more from him at this point. In the secondary, Tracy Walker is a guy you can build around. He's a player that can play in the box. He can play deep. He's long. He's rangy. He's got some speed. He's got ball skills. He's a good safety, and he can play in pretty much any system. So that's a guy that you can build around. And then obviously at cornerback, Darius Slay would be a foundational piece, but he's the biggest question mark as far as what the Lions do with him in the offseason as he's entering the last year of his contract. They're obviously not going to cut him, but do they keep him? Do they trade him? If they keep him, he is a foundational piece for 2020 and potentially beyond. If they get rid of him, then maybe they trade for draft picks or another player that they feel like they can build around. So those to me, and was that seven players or so, those are your real foundational pieces. Some other guys I didn't name, like Carryon Johnson, Marvin Jones, for various reasons, be it age, contract status, injuries, I, I just don't know if you can really call them foundational pieces because to me, a foundational piece is someone you can build around for the next four to five years. Uh, and Danny Amendola, he's a free agent, but he would be in that class as well. What be- Slade Bivens at Slade Bivens asks, what benefit to the team did delaying the Stafford to injured reserve move have? Honestly, none. Uh, they could have kept Matthew Stafford on the bench, even if he was on injured reserve, let him be a coach to, and a second coach to Jeff Driscoll and to David Blau, like he has been over the last six weeks. I think they really held out hope or, or Stafford at least held out hope that he would be able to come back. Do I think the timing of putting him on injured reserve the same day that they know that they're coming back is a little bit interesting? Sure. I think it's a little bit interesting. I'd like to believe that, It's just pure coincidence and that they weren't, you know, holding out hope for Stafford to come back because they maybe felt like they needed to play him to keep their jobs. But I mean, the timing is a bit weird, but I've seen I've also seen nothing to indicate that that's the case. That would just be to me a conspiracy theory that I don't know if that holds all that much weight. So my understanding is this Matthew Stafford was on pace. He wanted to come back. I do believe that Matt Patricia you know, out of respect and deference to Stafford, they kept him on the roster. At that point, they weren't as besieged by injuries as they are now. So they didn't necessarily need the roster spot. They kind of maybe need the roster spot now. So I think that a combination of holding out hope he could come back and giving him the opportunity to was the main reason to. I would have put him on injured reserve pretty much right away. And opened up that roster spot, allowed for another player to come up and maybe have some more development. But you only you only dress 46 on game day. So if you knew that you weren't going to dress a third quarterback anyway, sure, I get it. But I, I don't really know what the overall benefit was. I don't think there was other than hope. And as many people have said in the past, hope is not a strategy. DLR at Dale Twitten. Asked, and we kind of answered this a little bit already, but explain how contending for a 2020 playoff spot three years after 9-7 isn't good enough is the mandate. 
So, and also asked, why is the Arizona Cardinals that can run into a Super Bowl appearance in 2009, but the Lions can't in 56 years of ownership from the Ford? Both are very valid questions. Uh, we'll take the second one first. I don't really know. Uh, you would think in a league based off a of parody, a division title within 25 years would just kind of happen based off of happenstance one way or the other. That hasn't happened. Same thing with the Super Bowl appearance. Some of it has to do with talent. And for a large portion of the 56 years that the Fords have owned the Lions, the talent just hasn't been there. It was there in the 90s for sure. Everyone knows that between Lomas Brown and Barry Sanders and Herman Moore. And the talent was there in the mid 2000s as well with when you added Dominican Sue and Nick Fairley. And, and that 2014, I will always say, I feel like was a real Super Bowl contender in Jim Caldwell's first year. And that will lead into the second question, which is, I don't know how you do that. And that's kind of one of the things that I've been scratching my head about is, uh, unless you recognize it's a rebuild, and I think that the organization definitely realized soon after Patricia came in that this is maybe going to be a bigger project than initially thought. And even though Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia sold it as maybe not, when at least publicly, once Patricia started looking at the roster, it, it looked to him like, okay, I'm going to have to get a lot more pieces in here than I initially anticipated because he didn't necessarily know the roster. He was mostly focused on the Patriots going to a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl they lost to the Eagles. So maybe they would have said things differently had they looked at the roster back then. But to me, yeah, that's still the biggest head scratcher to all this. It basically says that, you know, nine, 20, and one is good enough for a third year, but nine and seven and nine and seven and two playoff appearances in four seasons is not good enough for Jim Caldwell to remain. And that, to me, is a question that I don't know if it'll ever really be answered. And I, I don't know if there is a right answer to it. And I, I want to get this, make this perfectly clear. I felt that at the time, getting rid of Jim Caldwell was the right move. Still believe that it was the right move at the time because the team had stagnated and Jim Caldwell got as much out of those rosters as he possibly could. Now, you can say, well, isn't that more on Bob Quinn? And it absolutely is more on Bob Quinn. And he could have given Jim Caldwell a better roster. But it was clear that while the Lions players were playing for Jim Caldwell and they cared for Jim Caldwell deeply, that was pretty much where they were going to be. Now, I think they would take that now. I think most people within the Lions would take 9-7, and 9-7 and seven now. But back then, they felt they were really close and they felt like they needed a different coach to get them to a next level. It just didn't happen, at least not yet, and maybe not ever with this current regime. So that would be how I'd explain it, that they said, okay, they, they accept that it's a rebuild. They accept the first year is what it was. They accept this year... They blame on injuries, although I would look at Pittsburgh and say, hey, look, Pittsburgh had, I think, more significant injuries than the Lions did, and they're contending for a playoff spot in a division that, to me, is probably not obviously as hard as the NFC North, but the Ravens are in that division, and oh yeah, the Ravens might win the Super Bowl. So there's a, it's not like they're in the NFC East here. So I look at that and I say, all right, well... Uh, it's a tough sell. It, it was a tough sell to me when, when, when they decided to keep him earlier today and, and it remains one now. I don't understand the total mandate on it. And it's, it's just a lot of wiggle room. And I think it's them trying to set expectations for 2020 without explaining totally that how 
what Jim Caldwell did wasn't good enough. What Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are doing is good enough other than accepting that it's a rebuild, which is something that, at least using the R word, rebuild, Matt Patricia has been loath to do. Brian Cockheiser at B Cockheiser on Twitter asked, what is a realistic path to actually contending next year? I wrote about this a little bit on ESPN.com today. I think it starts and ends with the defense. The offense is what it is. As long as Matthew Stafford comes back healthy and Marvin Jones comes back healthy and you add a piece here, maybe in the running game as a receiver, maybe you need maybe an offensive lineman or two. It's all going to be about how Matt Patricia coaches add the defense. And you need to add playmakers every level on the defense. You need a pass rusher desperately to pair with Trey Flowers. You need an interior presence badly because Damon Harrison did, has not had the best year. Sean Robinson's a free agent. And you need to solidify the middle of that defense, especially since Matt Patricia likes to build from the middle out. You need one or two linebackers. You need to hope Jelani Tavai develops this year. You need to hope that Jared Davis is able to give you more. And you need to draft a linebacker too or sign one in free agency that can make a difference. And then it's the secondary. You have to feel good about what you have in Tracy Walker. And again, develop Will Harris. Develop cornerback Amani Owarie into the hopes that he can maybe be a starter for you. And you need to get a cornerback as well because you've got Justin Coleman. He's coming back next year based off of his contract. And... Maybe you have Darius Slay, maybe you don't, but you need cornerback depth. You need another corner. You need another defensive back. Tavon Wilson, by the way, also a free agent, and he's a sneaky one because he's played really well this year, could have some suitors, but I would imagine the Lions, especially since he's very familiar with Matt Patricia's scheme, he's a Matt Patricia guy, he's a New England guy. It would not shock me if they brought him back, and they really should. Of all of their free agents, he's a guy that, to me, I would look at and say, okay, you probably want to bring him back on maybe a two-year deal, give him a decent amount of money, keep him from getting the open market because he really fits well in this system. So it's all about development of defensive players, development of your, your young players, and bringing in an infusion of defensive talent. And also, listen, a little bit of luck and a little bit of help with injuries because the line between 6 and 10 and 10 and 6 in the NFL is very, very thin. I feel cliche saying that, but it is true. And it, it just really gets to that point of that's the path to contending. You know, I still feel bad because I got, I got snookered this year. I, I really did. I, I got fooled. And I said I thought this team would be 10 and 6 at the start of the year. And that was my mistake. And I really believed in that defense. I thought they would have a really good defensive unit. The Lions players felt they'd have a really good defensive unit. And it just never came together. Uh, I'll answer one more question here. And then we will get to our one guest today, Jeff Legwald, the ESPN reporter from the Denver Broncos, who covers the Denver Broncos. Uh, why did the Lions draft a tight end in the draft? when their defense is so bad. And that's from JB. That's Lions Roar 99. And here's the thing. When they drafted TJ Hawkinson, they didn't think their defense was going to be so bad. Their defense was a strength. They knew they'd have to add some pieces for sure. And they did in the second round and the third round. But tight end was a mess for them. Sure, they assigned Jesse James. But we've all seen Jesse James hasn't done much. TJ Hawkinson was maybe considered the best tight end prospect in a decade. 
And while he hasn't panned out yet to be that, there's still potential there. And I think that he's shown that in flashes. He dealt with injuries this year. I'm not ready to write him off by any stretch of the imagination. But listen, this if if this doesn't go right for the Lions, if Bob Quinn ends up failing, if the, it ends after next year, that decision is going to be looked at much like the Eric Ebron decision back in 2014. Now, that was a little bit different because like you knew there was a chance and Dominic and Sue and Nick Fairley were maybe not going to come back or, or be brought back that after that next year. And you had a transcendent player in Aaron Donald just sitting there and you had bigger needs where the Lions tight end was a huge need for them. So it made sense from that standpoint. But if Ed Oliver develops into a player and you need defensive tackles and the Lions do need a defensive tackle at this point. Yeah, that's going to be looked at because Ed Oliver was was and is a darn good player and could have definitely made a difference. So I, I think that 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 question is a little bit of a hindsight question. I mean, I, I get the why, why you maybe don't draft a tight end in the top 10, but it was a big need for the Lions. He was a player that was really looked at as a generational type player, and he still might be, but it's going to be something to watch over the next season or two. So thank you for all of your questions today, and we'll be back with Jeff Legwald right after this. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 South Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free skee-ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here too, just like me. Check out regentsfield.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regentsfield. Our guest this evening is the person who covers the Broncos for ESPN. He's my colleague, Jeff Legwald. Jeff, this will be an interesting game on Sunday between two teams kind of going nowhere fast. But thanks for coming on the Michael Rossney Show. (laughs) It's great. I'm ready to roll. Awesome. So let's start here. Uh, Quarterback, Drew Locke. What can the Lions expect from him? Well, I think... Honestly, the Broncos got a little more than they expected in Houston. You know, Locke, his second start, he throws for 300 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, obviously, the, the city here, the, the Broncos uh, faithful, kick it into high gear, all kinds of Locke is the man forever type thing going on. And then uh, a blizzard in Kansas City, and he really struggled there. I, I thought – he handled himself with composure in Kansas City, but really struggled on the field. And I think that's that's where we're at. Where you know they they would like to have a good feeling uh, about whether you know this he will impact their draft strategy. You know, after these two home games, he'll, he'll finish with the the Lions game, and then the Raiders will close out the season in Denver in the last week. And at, after these two games they would like to sort of be able to look at drew lock and say you need to do these five x number of things in the off season to come back and be the starter but they like how he's handled his rookie season and they like the how he's handled the the swirl that goes with being the quarterback here and now it's just a matter of can he get enough done with his delivery and his footwork to be consistently accurate. So 
It's interesting you talk about that. Like they want to use the last two games to really help make a judgment call. The Lions have made a season out of making mediocre quarterbacks or worse look great. Mitchell Trubisky being one. Jameis Winston absolutely lit them up last week. Is he the type of guy that once he gets rolling, he can really be effective? Because it seems like quarterbacks, once they kind of get one or two going against the Lions, it all kind of falls apart for Detroit. Well, I, I will say Locke has a uh, plenty of confidence. You know, he it, it's even his veteran teammates talk about sort of the swag, they call it, that even he, he brings to the practice field. So I think Vaughn Miller's already called him a rock star. So, I mean, he, he has the backing of some of the older guys in the locker room. And, and I think as a young player, if, if he is allowed to have confidence early in the game, that's when he can get get rolling. And that's what happened, you know, in Houston, frankly. He, he got rolling in the first half. He completed passes to nine different guys in the first half of that game. And, uh, you know, it's 38-3 to three at one point. And, the, you know, the Texans are likely going to the playoffs. So uh, he is a player that has that confidence. You know, he's sort of too young to know what he doesn't know right now. So – when he does get rolling, it, you can really see a difference in how he plays compared to when he had a rough start in the blizzard in Kansas City and he never really got on track. So, yeah, the first quarter could could tell the story here. So when you flip sides of the ball, obviously Vic Fangio is going to be pretty familiar with maybe not totally with Daryl Bevel, but with the Lions and some of their personnel. But he's going to be facing a third-string quarterback and a fifth or sixth-string running back, depending on whether or not both Scarborough plays. How aggressive do you think he might be? Do you think he'll look at maybe what Mike Zimmer did a couple of weeks ago and say, all right, like that's a possibility because they just got after David Blau? Yeah, you know, Mike, he's he's stuck to, to rushing four most of the year here, and in large part because of the injuries they've had on defense. And now today – uh, Kareem Jackson, the safety, was suspended for the last two games of the season. And uh, other than Von Miller and maybe Justin Simmons, uh, Kareem Jackson's been one of their best players on defense all year. So that that will impact some of what they're doing because Jackson's backup, uh, Will Parks, is already playing as the nickel corner. So uh, – Usually his decision is if he thinks he's got to uh, sort of make up for for issues in coverage, he backs off the pass rush a little bit. So I think he would pick his spots, maybe rush five uh, in some second and long, third and long situations. But overall, I think he will he will stick to the four man pressures. So let's be real here. Are we going to be watching a glorified preseason game on Sunday? <laughs> An awful lot of backups on the field, man. No question. Yeah, I mean, it just it sounds like that from both perspectives. But what what's the feeling on Vic Fangio right now in Denver? First year coach, obviously, the quarterback issue was such a big thing, you know, just from reading your work over the last, I guess, what three four years probably since Peyton Manning's retirement. But what's the feeling right now on Vic Fangio in Denver? I think you know, Elway likes his his sort of no nonsense, you know, tell it like it is, and actually the players have spoken about that a lot. They know exactly where they stand. He doesn't uh, – uh, there are no games with Vic. You know, when he 
criticizes a player, he does it in a team meeting in front of everyone, you know, with the game video. There's no sort of behind the scenes. There's no, you know, he doesn't say anything publicly. He hasn't already told them to their faces. So uh, he scored an awful lot of points in that regard. And defensively, until the injuries finally got a hold of him, uh, they were playing very well on defense. They've been one of the best in the league in the red zone all year. And the defensive players all have almost universally spoken that they think they've be, become better players with Fangio running the show. So I think offensively they have struggled all year, but you know, their, their offensive line is not where they want it to be. And the quarterback question has hung over things all year. You know, Locke is the third guy to, to play at quarterback. He's the seventh quarterback since week nine of the 2017 Ooh. season. So uh, they, you know, offensively, they, they have struggled mightily, but I don't think anyone, including the players in the locker room, would put that on Vic right now. So, I mean, it sounds like at least going into the offseason offense, it's going to be the main focus of any sort of building and free agency and draft that they're going to do very kind of flip to what the Lions have, which is really everything's going to probably be focused on defense. Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, Mike, I think they'll look at uh, a corner early. But other than that, yeah, you're, you're talking a tackle, maybe two tackles in the draft. You're talking, you know, they might look quarterback down the board a little bit, you know, depending on what Joe Flacco's future looks like here. So, yeah, it will be heavy offense with a, a corner thrown in there uh, in the mix. Hey, Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, going to be something to watch on Sunday, I guess. I appreciate it. We'll be there. Absolutely. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 South Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free skee-ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here too, just like me. Check out RegentsField.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regents Field. So that is another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show in the books. I'd like to thank my guest, ESPN Denver Broncos writer Jeff Legwald for coming on. You can follow Jeff at Jeff underscore Legwald. That's L-E-G-W-O-L-D on the Twitters. Obviously a huge day in Lions land. Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia, they're coming back. Matthew Stafford, he's done for the year. Thanks, as always, to my producers, Matt Leach, Stephen Arkinall, and David Woodley, and to my designer, Samantha Holt. Check out Regents Field. Come on by 204 South Main Street. You can get some great food, including some gluten-free options. You can come see our giant Christmas tree for at least another week. Play some free seaball, throw some free darts, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regents Field. And we will see you next week.